We'll turn this morning to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. Genesis 17, 1. And when Abram was 90, 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. It'll pass. And Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I have to tell you that uh, as I was studying uh, this uh, lesson, I had to stop several times because I was just overwhelmed by, by the Lord and what He wants to do in our lives. And it becomes clear here as we read. Uh, we, we know about Abram and we know about the things that went on in his life. Uh, the Lord called him uh, out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees. He said, walk in the land that I will show you. And so he left his home. Uh, you know, really, he was no different than any one of us. Uh, he was a person just like we are. And he left his home. He experienced drought. He experienced fear and potential loss. Uh, he experienced strife with his family. He experienced watching out for his family and watching them make decisions that were not maybe the best. He experienced uh, saving his family, going to their defense, and he, he prayed for his family. He, he was just like you and I. And in the midst of this walk, God had talked to Abram several times, but in the midst of this walk, he, he says this phrase in the first verse, walk before me and be thou perfect. It seems like a tall order, doesn't it? You know, we, we have a misconception about the word perfect. I had this misconception for many years of my life, and uh, the, the word perfect, even if you trace it back to the English roots, the word perfect means to be complete. It means to be whole. It does not mean the ultimate. It does not mean it could be better. It means to be complete and to be whole. The Hebrew word used in this context is just that. It means to be complete. And so God is, is calling to Abram to be complete, to be whole before Him. Right. That's it. I uh, uh, had a manager, actually that was a, a level above me, who uh, sometimes he would give me projects. Uh, and uh, we'd work through it and, and uh, uh, you know, he'd send me back with something else to do and I'd, I'd get things done and I'd bring it back to him. And he had this, he loved to just say, uh, it's perfect. And I always thought he was using that word wrong. It turns out he was using it right the whole time. 
It was complete. It was to his satisfaction. It was going to do the job. It was going to make it through. It was, it was complete. You know, could I, could I have done more? Could I have had a graphic or something like that? Sure, but it was perfect for his purposes. And so God calls us to be perfect. And if I had to title this lesson this morning, this uh, teaching, I would say a perfect walk. We know that God is perfect. Uh, Sister Josephine read this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, pardon me. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. You'll have to excuse me. It's my first time. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. It says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. His work is perfect. Uh, we read in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, uh, verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, the preceding verses in this uh, psalm here go on to talk about the heavens declare the glory of God. God spoke. We could say here in this verse 7, the, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. God spoke instruction out of His mouth into nothingness and it became a perfect thing. God looked on it. Everything that He said, He looked on it and said, it is good. It was perfect. It was complete. It was whole in its entirety. That's the work of God. God makes things whole and He makes them perfect. Still a tall order. I marvel that the Lord looked down upon a broken and bruised human condition. I marvel that He looked down and He saw uh, the sin and, the, and all of that and He desired to make it whole. Right. Let's read Genesis 17, that first, that end of that first verse again. Genesis 17. We have this tendency to read this and think, and be thou perfect is the, the part that is important. And that's not really the important part. Let's read this again as it should be with the right emphasis here. We'll start just a little bit before that phrase that says, I am the Almighty God. Walk before Me and be thou perfect. It's the walk before Me part that is the part that's important for us. You see, the, the after part of that is if you walk before Me, if you walk in My will, if you walk in My way, you will be perfect. You will be complete. You will be everything you need to be. So the part here that we get confused about, sometimes we read this and we go, oh no, I've got to be perfect. Oh no, you have to walk before God. And that's not always easy, I granted. But, but i got to tell you, I, I think I can walk a lot easier than I can be perfect. That's the reality. God is, is giving Abram an invitation. He says and He reaches out here, walk before Me and be thou perfect. He gives him the invitation to be complete and whole before Him in all that He does. 
And that invitation extends to you and I. We read in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. We'll read verses 20 through 23. Jesus is praying to his Father. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and Thou in Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent Me and hast loved them as Thou hast loved Me. I had to stop several times in reading that because you sense the essence of what God is offering us. He loves His Son Jesus so much, but here Jesus tells tells us that He loves us the same way. And He offers for us to come and be complete in Him. We read in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the Gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You see, we're Abraham's children. If you have faith enough to trust and believe and reach out to the God of heaven, uh, you are a child of Abraham. You are a subject and, and, and have the promises of God available to you that He offered to Abraham. Yes. And so these things uh, come to us. And so the same thing comes to us. You and I, He says, walk before Me and be thou perfect. In verse 8 there, says that God would justify the heathen through faith. That's where perfection starts, isn't it? We are broken when we come into this world and it doesn't get any better. Then uh, we, we commit sins. We go out into the world. We, we've heard testimony today about how our sin can drag you down. Uh, but thanks be to God, there is a remedy for that. Uh, God sent His Son. Uh, we, we learned about that in the teaching on the atonement, how His blood uh, paid that price for us, uh, that we can be uh, cleansed from our sins, that we can have them taken away, that we can have them forgiven. And so when we get saved, we start on that journey of Walking perfect before God. The next part, pardon me. The next part is carnality. We must deal with carnality. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. It says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. 
Even after we get saved, there's still a piece of us that is not whole. There is still that nature that is within us uh, that yearns to rebel against. I heard a, an account one time. I was studying for some uh, young people's uh, things, and I was looking through a book of uh, devotions, and I found this little story about a woman who had a pond out in the back of her house. And uh, out inside this pond was an alligator, and she just thought, if I pay that alligator no mind, he won't pay me any mind. Well, I've never had any dealings with alligators. I can't tell you what they mind or don't mind. I can tell you what I've seen in a video here here or there. But one day that, that woman came out. She was out on her dock and she was doing something there in the water and that, that alligator came up and just took off her hand just like that. You see, there's a nature inside of us that was born into us when Adam sinned. The, it, it changed. We were all born in His likeness. And we have this nature in us. We call it the Adamic nature, carnality, whatever you want to, to say. But it is that nature that rebels and it is not subject to the law of God. And we cannot be perfect. We cannot be perfect without uh, being uh, subject to the law of God. So we need to have that dealt with. We need to have a carnality taken out. And, and praise be to God. Oh, once again, through the atonement, we have that opportunity. We can be rid of that carnal nature. Uh, we read in Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. says, Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy. For I am the Lord your God, and ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. Now, it can be confusing because he says to sanctify yourselves and then he says, I will sanctify you. Well, the reality is, is that you and I can do nothing about uh, the nature within us. It takes God to take that out. We cannot remove it ourselves. There's no recipe for that. There's no uh, service that we can go to, earthly service that will take that out. It takes God to take it out. But what He's looking for is He's looking for people who have set themselves apart. He's looking for people who have said, I want to be perfect and whole before God. And they make decisions that way. He's looking for people that come and pray to Him, reach out to Him, and yearn for that cleansing. And He will do it. That word sanctify can also be used as consecrate. We must consecrate. That is, make holy. We consecrate ourselves and we come before God and He does the work. 1 Peter 1. Here the Lord reiterates, or rather Peter reiterates through the Holy Spirit what God has told them. 1 Peter 1, 13-16. 1 Peter 1, 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. But again, 
You know, we look at this and sometimes we look at this and we think, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I, I don't know if I can, I can be holy. But, but, but flip that around. That's an invitation still that God offers us to, to partake in the holiness He offers. It's not anything we can work up. It's not anything we can do, but He offers it to us. He offers us to be perfect and whole. Uh, in Second Peter, we read this. Makes it a little clearer. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter one, verses three and four. This is just in his greeting. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Come, walk before me, and you can be perfect. You can be whole. You can be complete. You don't have to worry about those other things. You can walk perfect before God. It's an invitation. Sometimes... Sometimes we fear. Have you ever experienced fear? Uh, if we turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 16, or pardon me, 17 and 18. 1 John chapter 4, 17 and 18 says, Herein is our love made perfect. That we may be, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. But did you catch that in the end of verse 17? Because as He is, so we are we in this world. We can be perfect. We can be holy before God. We can partake of His divine nature. There is no reason to fear. There is no reason to, uh, to doubt. Uh, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Whose power? God's power. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. He invites us. You know, fear is an interesting thing. Because fear is just the other end of the same string as pride. Now, let that sink in for just a second. Fear is just the other end. Pride is self-absorption and the point that you, uh, you think you know everything. Fear is that you know nothing and you don't trust anything. It's still self. It's still self. But God wants to rid you of that fear. And He looks for people that will, in spite of fear, have courage, step forward and say, count me. You can have righteous pride and you can have righteous fear. Now bear with me, I'm not making anything new. Righteous pride, we can have pride in our God. 
We can have pride in the God of heaven that loves us and does all things marvelous and perfect. We can have pride in Him and His holiness and His power. Not ourselves, but in Him. Just as the same way we should have holy and righteous fear or reverence for that same God. Fear to know that He has all things in His hands. Fear to know that He will lead us and He will finish and accomplish His work and His Word. Uh, One day I was walking to church with my girls. They were very small. I have two girls. Uh, My youngest is going to be 22 this year, so it's a number of years ago. But they were just small, and we were walking to church, and a, and a dog approached us, and it, it, it seemed rather menacing, and it approached us out of the yard. It was off of a leash, and, uh, and, it, and it kind of charged at us. And my, my uh, oldest daughter, who has special needs, her instinct was to run. I was thankful I had her hand in mine, and, and her instinct was to run. And I, and I held onto her hand firmly. I just put my kids behind me, and I, and I just stopped, and I waited for the, the owner to come get the dog. Basically, I was letting the dog know, you aren't coming any further. <laughs> These are my kids. But uh, I get emotional every time I think about this. But after it was all done, I, um, I leaned over to my daughter who had, had her instinct was to run. And I said, if you run from me, I can't protect you. If you run from me, you, you limit my power to work for you. You know, the same is true in the Gospel. If you run from God, if you keep something back from God, you, you limit what God can do in your life. And that limitation is, is your limitation, not His. But, but you limit what He can do in your life. So, so, so don't have fear. Don't, don't succumb to those things. God wants to deliver. And He said that He will. You know, I'm not, I'm not any great father. I don't put myself up against, I, I think of all, uh, the fathers that have, uh, I, I've witnessed in life, uh, but God is so much greater. And if I, a weak father, would protect and, and put my children behind me, well, what will the God of heaven do for you and I? So cast out your fear to walk perfect before God. The only way that you and I can continue on a walk of perfection with the Lord is if we live in a state of consecration. We talked about that a little bit uh, already, but but consecration is is really the the essence of what it means to walk in perfection before God. Uh, there, there really is no getting around that. Consecration means to make something sacred. Uh, I, I uh, put it this way here in my notes: to make holy by giving it to God's uh, protection or service or discretion for His protection for His service. Or his discretion. You see, that discretion one is the one we get a little concerned about. I remember Brother Gary Ryler talked about when he gave music to God. He he never thought for that he would ever sing or play a note again. He was willing to give it all. He gave it to God for his discretion, but God asked him for it for his service. You see, consecration takes many different forms. And consecration really is just the way that you and I live. That's, that's how we maintain a walk before God. That's how we can walk perfect before God. This tabernacle is perfect. It is. This tabernacle is perfect. Now, it rains on the platform occasionally. But this tabernacle is perfect. 
This tabernacle has been dedicated to the use of God. It has been consecrated. And it is completing its purpose. It is perfect. It is absolutely perfect. It is doing the job it is intended to do. It has been uh, sanctified wholly. And it is doing that job. You know, but it still requires maintenance. As, as we know. I found out what was wrong and I'm really glad it was an easy thing. Uh, you know, the, the roof still needs to be taken care of. We, we need to do structural tests. Uh, uh, way back when, and I don't remember the exact date, uh, the Green Brothers came in and, and tied it all together really nice and well and, and made it even better structurally sound. But it has been perfect from the moment that it was consecrated and dedicated to God's surf. It has been perfect since that day. And you and I, uh, sometimes we need a little maintenance. A lot of times we need a little maintenance, don't we? And so we maintain by consecration and dedication. Uh, the word uh, translated sanctification, uh, or pardon me, the word translated consecration is translated several ways in, in Exodus and Leviticus. Uh, but one of the words that is translated as consecration means to set as a stone. So you can picture a stone. In fact, it's used uh, when they're talking about the ephod and the stones that were set in the ephod. Uh, they had to be set so that they would not fall out. Uh, what's interesting about setting is we can learn two things about this. One is it's meant to be permanent. It is not meant to be removed. The same thing with a consecration. When you bring something to God, it is an offering unto Him and it is meant for Him. That's it. And so that is what a consecration is meant to be, like a stone set. But also, stones were meant to shine out their glory. See, a consecration does the same thing. You see, that's one of the reasons that we can walk perfect before God is because consecrations shine out to the world around us. They notice something different. We notice something different. God said to Abraham when he, <clears throat> when he offered his son Isaac, God said to him, He said, Now I know. You see, before it was just words. You know, and, and of course God knew Abraham's heart. He knew where Abraham was, but he required Abraham give his son. And God, and God said to him, now I know that you will do it. It was steadfast. It was sure. I'm thinking Abraham probably thought to himself, and now I know too. You see, that's the truth about a consecration. Sometimes we get up to places and we, we him and haw, and maybe we, we wonder about, am I really fully committed in that? We don't know until that day comes. But praise be to God, if we keep on that path, if we walk consecrated before God, we will go through it. God will take us through. Another word translated as consecrate is to fill with the hand. It's actually a compound word. It's two words come together. It's translated as consecrate. And you're thinking, fill with a hand. That sounds interesting. Well, maybe you're thinking that, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you've shut me out by now. I don't know. But another way to put that would be to give strength to. A consecration is not just words. A consecration is not just something that we do here at the altars of prayer. A consecrate is not something we just say over and over again. A consecration is meant to be lived out every day at home and wherever we are. You see, you have to do that thing that you promise to God. And so we must uh, be about the work. Uh, the other word that is translated is to be set apart like royalty and priests. And we're not going to turn to it, but in 1 Peter 2.9, uh, uh, Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood. That we are set apart. Let's turn to Psalm 101. 
Psalm 101. And we'll read verses, just the first four verses. It says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Uh, Notice the declarative statements that the psalmist here that Paul makes. I will, he says. I will do this. I give it to you. It is yours. I will follow through on all of these things. And that's how you walk a consecrated life. That's how we walk perfect before God. Uh, Give everything to God. Give it, give it all. Uh, Give your possessions, uh, your finances. Give your needs to God. Give your future. Give your eyes. Give your ears. How many things could have been avoided that we read in the Bible or see around the world if people had consecrated eyes and ears? Consecrate your mouth and your feet and your hands to God. Jesus even consecrated His enemies to God. 1 Peter 2, 21-23. We won't turn to that. But He even consecrated His enemies to God. You see, there's nothing that you need to worry about holding back. Just give it all. If you knew of a bank that gave 100% return every day, wouldn't you give them everything? I, I, I mean, you might even try to figure out how they might keep care of your family, wouldn't you? Is there something I can get more out of this? If I, is there a way uh, that I can get more out of this? They're giving a hundred percent return. I worked for a company not too long ago. I signed up for a 401k plan and immediately had 300% return on my investment. I gave them 2% and they kicked in 6% of my pay. Immediately, that's 300% if you do the math. 300% I had return on that. I, I would do that every day. I don't work for that company anymore. You know, but God offers us so much more. Wouldn't you just give everything? Wouldn't you just give everything if you had a bank like that? And then you should go out and you should do those things that you've given to Him. We live a consecrated life. Consecrations don't just stop when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Consecrations are a lifelong pursuit. I'll tell you of a recent situation uh, in my own life. I re- was uh, really anxious and, and excited for a new product that was coming out. Um, I knew the date it was coming out. It was going to be released. There was a lot of hype around it. I wanted to, uh, to, uh, to have this, and I ordered it. I pre-ordered it, and I had it on the way uh, coming to my home, and I was, I was really, really excited. I mean, I'm really excited about this. And the Lord put His finger on my heart. And he just put his finger on my heart and he, he said, I, I want you to give that to me. I really wanted it. But my father knows what's best for me. And I want to walk perfect before him. And I want to stay in that place walking before him. And so it came and I never even opened it. I just returned it. 
Because God asked me to. Because He's got it figured out. I don't know why. I don't know the reason. It does not matter why. It does not matter. He asked me to walk before Him. And that's a part of walking before Him. And maybe God is calling consecrations of you that you never thought God would ask. Maybe He's reaching out to you today and He's He's drawing those things. Maybe some things have come to mind even in this teaching as we've been talking about it. And He's drawing these from you. You will never go wrong. You will never go wrong giving God everything. The parting advice that Brother Roy Buss gave me before he passed away. I went to see him about a week and a half before he passed. I didn't even realize that he was uh, on his way uh, to heaven. But he said to me, he said, never be afraid to do what the Lord asks you to do. Uh, His whole life, all of the things that he'd learned, that was what he wanted me to get. Never be afraid. And so I'll pass that on to you now. Never be afraid. Never be afraid to give it all to God. Never be afraid to to reach out and just trust that God knows what He's doing. That He will walk with you. If you walk before Him, you can be perfect. We'll close with just a few Scriptures here. In 1 Corinthians 15.31, Paul said, I die daily. You see, he made a daily consecration. He consecrated uh, that day to God. Every single day, he did that. In Revelation 12, uh, verse 11, we'll, we will read that. Revelation 12, 11 talks about overcomers. I, I like overcoming obstacles. They're not so fun in the, in the front of them, but when you get over them, it's a great feeling. Revelation 12, 11, uh, it says here, and they overcame him. That's the enemy. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And oftentimes we stop there, but let's keep going. And they love not their lives unto the death. They had consecrated their lives to God. They had given it all and they were ready to go if God should call. If God, I, I've often had that thought. Sometimes I get faint sitting up here on this platform. I do. I'm just sharing who I am with you. I get faint sitting on this platform. And I've, I've thought many times, Lord, if you take me now and that's what you want to do in this service, amen. I'm thinking Brother Darrell probably doesn't want that. But live a consecrated life. Give it all to Him. Philippians 1, 19. Philippians 1, 19-21. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's walking a perfect walk. And so we can... Walk before the Lord and be perfect. Because of His righteousness. Because of His love for us. And I hope that's, that's what you received uh, this morning. God's love. He loved us so much that He's willing to impart. He's willing to help us to realize the divine nature in our own life. Not that we have, but by His power and by His love for us. May God bless you. Camp meeting is not over. Uh, that we still have a, an altar service. We still have a time of prayer where you can consecrate your life to God and God will answer your prayer. Uh, you, we, we, even when we leave this place, uh, God wants to touch you and wants to be with you. So live a consecrated life. God be praised.